and welcome to Design Assembly Conversations. In this series, we talk to Aotearoa New Zealand designers, hear their stories and celebrate their work. I'm Louise, and today I'm talking to Matt Power from Method. Matt is the design director who works across design, art direction, and user experience at Method, a creative technology studio based in Auckland, New Zealand. Originally from the UK, Matt's first role was at PlayStation Studios within the Creative Arts team, a collaborative and close-knit group of creatives of all disciplines. Having now called New Zealand home for five years, Matt has worked with culture and theory and with somewhat of an obsession with the overlap of creativity and technology, found the perfect fit in 2019 when joining Method. Kia ora, Matt. Um, thanks so much for joining me today. I'd like to start at the beginning and ask you about where you come from. Well, thank you for having me. I come from the UK originally. I studied at a pretty traditional uh, art school uh, in, in Cambridge. In, yeah, in the UK, it was called uh, Cambridge School of Art, but it was actually part of um, one of the kind of polytechnics in the UK before it before it rebranded. Uh, I studied, yeah, again, like a reasonably traditional graphic design course uh, covering all the fundamentals of, of design in terms of, you know, typography, layout, um, but probably with more of a leaning towards uh, print and editorial. I think probably partway through the course, we were getting into more things like Flash and, and using things that were a little bit more interactive. And I think that was when I first started getting a, a taste of, of what I love and, and what I do now. It's one of those things that when you look back on your past, you start thinking about all the roads that have led you to, to where you are now. And even when I was in uh, high school, I was experimenting with things like web design and, you know, building my own web pages and just this fascination that you could reach people in a completely different part of the world through what you were doing, uh, no matter how awful I'm sure it looked at the time. Yeah, naturally... I was picking modules by the end of the by the end of the course that were definitely more leaning towards interactive and the digital side of things. I think when you were studying, um, I imagine uh, it was kind of relatively kind of new or in the beginnings of that kind of interactive design. So, is it fair to say that you know, as you as you've kind of mentioned, that a lot of it was kind of self-taught, kind of uh, you know, after hours? Yeah, I think so, and. Uh, it started, yeah, the, the stuff that I was doing at high school was definitely uh, definitely in that realm. And then also just that natural curiosity, I think um, being able to, you know, get software on your on your computer and, and just play around with it and just kind of find where, how you could push things and just start, I think even back then, like not worrying about pigeonholing yourself into a certain type of design and just, you know, if, if I want to try and learn uh, interactive or want to try and learn motion or anything like that just kind of going for it if that makes sense um do you have any of those um early experiments stored on some kind of hard drive somewhere or i i it's it's pretty weird like i do keep i do keep an archive but it only it only goes back as far as my my first jobs in industry i've, I've definitely buried <laughs> buried a lot of the stuff that i was doing when i was in university and things yeah. like that yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? You you go go back through some of those uh, old old pieces of work, and they either bring back really fond memories, or 
you shudder to <laughs> shudder to look at them. So um, yeah, some of it definitely falls into falls into that camp, I think. And growing up, did you um, have family involved in the industry, or you know, can you think of kind of any like early clues as to this being the direction that you'd go in? No, it's really funny. My my family haven't taken a, a creative route at all. Um, the only thing that contradicts that slightly is my my granddad was uh, he was a scientist. Um, but, but specifically in the area of photography and, and uh, you know, photographic process and things like that. And so as I was growing up, he was also a really keen photographer and really just encouraged me. Like he was the first person to put a camera in my hand and, you know, he, he had like a camera collection uh, of all these beautiful old SLRs and gave gave one to me on loan. And, and I kind of found my first steps in, I guess, being creative, quote unquote, uh, through through photography and so I guess in a lot of ways I have him to thank for that kind of thing and and also they were they were really good when I was growing up in terms of like helping me get my first computer and and, and things like that so yeah not not necessarily following um, anyone's footsteps but definitely being encouraged. And what was it that led you you know look to do a, a qualification within design? Um, when I, I, I don't know how the, um, the high school education system works over, over in New Zealand, but when I was in uh, what must have been year nine at high school, you, you get to pick your options. So these would be the things that you take through to your, to your final exams. And, and I just naturally, I suppose as a kid, just wanted to study things that were creative in general. So I took things like art. I took, um, I can't remember the name of the course now, but it was like, I think it was graphic products and basically it was um it was technical drawing so it was uh you know like whiteboard slide ruler drawing like literally like technical diagrams and and things like that uh, of all kinds of things um you know like of, of products but generally just just loving doing that kind of thing and then when I got my exam results back it was like they those were the areas that I I guess I kind of excelled in and so um we we didn't do things like continuing high school to years 12 and 13 we had to go to a, a sixth form college and so i took a i took a diploma in um in design at that point and honestly uh you, you wouldn't believe the work that we were doing but it was um drawing typefaces at different point sizes with a pen and um you know like hand rendering and but but in a lot of ways like learning how to sketch and learning how to communicate ideas and, and things like that yeah, that just that just uh, naturally went through to university. And I remember this really pivotal point where um, there was almost like a, can I see a show of hands who's planning on going to university? And the class was kind of divided. And people were thinking that after they finished college, they'd, they'd go off and work. And others were like, oh, I definitely, I definitely want to go to university. And basically the, the lecturer, uh, she was called Barbara, and she just said, I'm going to be really honest with you. All of you that are not thinking of going to university, you're not going to be designers. That, it, it's, it's kind of non, non-optional. And I think it probably shocked, shocked quite a few of the, of the class. And yeah, at that point, it was like, okay, well, I guess university's the, the next step. And so, yeah, there were those that went, you know, to, to the opposite end of the country and those that stayed relatively nearby. Yeah, I kind of ended up somewhere in the middle. I was far enough away from my parents that it was, uh, 
I felt like I was independent, but close enough that there was a safety net if I needed to go back home and do my washing or or whatever. I don't know. It's really interesting that you, you had someone kind of make that statement because I, you know, sometimes I think, you know, certain like learning styles or kind of certain situations kind of, you know, potentially don't lend themselves to um, people going to university or, you know, even as you said, being kind of a self-starter and like learning the software and doing these um, projects in your own time, um, you know, can be ways that people kind of, you know, can gain entry into the um, the industry. So, yeah, that's that's quite interesting to hear that. Um, and whether or not that's um, kind of more of a UK-based thing or or not, I'm not sure. When, when I think about it now, I, I think nowadays education is changing quite a lot and there are probably more options. You know, there's more options for people to, um, you know, learn in different ways. And, and I'll be honest, it's like when I'm reviewing the work of designers these days, like I don't really care where they got their qualification from or, or if they even have one. And um, we've worked with people, uh, I've worked with UX designers that haven't got a you know, they don't have a degree. They've done a course in something, maybe like a, a general assembly course or something where they've they've had an intro to UX and they've just they've just learned, you know, they've learned on their on their own time. And I think what's interesting about that is um, when I found my way into university, I I didn't necessarily um, probably apply myself as as well as I as well as I could have. And I really, I really dived into the subjects that interested me. But I definitely, I, I guess I, I just didn't, I didn't apply myself within the kind of structured requirements of the course. And so uh, we had access to the most unbelievable facilities. There were, you know, there was a printmaking department where there were silk screen beds and just the most unbelievable letterpress department that like nowadays as an adult, I would dream of having access to that kind of thing. But um yeah, it was just really interesting. The, I think there was still, um, yeah, there, there's something about the the overall kind of structured credits nature of it and, and writing a dissertation and, and, and things like that that just not always did I did I follow. But, but on the courses where, you know, I had a really inspiring lecturer or teacher or just I was fascinated with the subject, I'd be, I'd be up all night, you know, like working on those projects. So it was a really... Um, I'd say a really polarizing experience. And you were an exhibitor at the DNA D New Blood. So, you know, was there kind of one of those inspiring teachers that led you to kind of enter in that or and what was the project? It was really strange because um, it, that's typically something that third year students would um, would take part in. But we were in a course that was a mixture of degree students and I think uh, what, what was at the time called a HND HND classes. So they were they were two-year students. So we entered that in our second year. And it was an optional thing. You didn't, you didn't have to enter, but it, there was a module that was based on a brief from uh, DNAD. And of course, we, uh, we all jumped on the opportunity to do it. And it's funny, the area that we entered was poster advertising, which is not at all like what I do now, but it was really interesting in trying to um, get across an idea and it was a, it was an idea about conservation and um and and specifically bugs and how important bugs are in the um in the world's ecosystem but we just we just uh, dived into it and it was probably not such a uh, it wasn't necessarily a teacher but I was um 
partnered with a really good friend, uh, Mark, who, yeah, I think the two of us were just so keen to, to kind of get involved and we ended up entering and we got a commendation and we ended up in the book, like the DNA D annual, which I, like I still have. And it was just such an amazing experience. And like DNA D in general as an organization is, is a fantastic thing. But just the opportunity to then go to, we went to London, there was a huge exhibition, we went to a dinner, and it was just, you know, for a year two student in, in your degree, you suddenly realise that there's this much bigger community of people that do what you do beyond, beyond your class, you know, beyond the people that you sit around with during the day. And there are colleges all around the country. And then... Um, yeah, every year they have a they have a student fair, like a student show attached to the uh, attached to the student awards, and then they have a, a commercial um, professional awards as well. But just going to that and just meeting other students and just talking, it was probably just one of the most exciting things uh, or exciting aspects of of my you know student student journey. And it led you to your your first job at PlayStation. Yeah, um, we we had a like a really funny little like stand I, I always think it's almost like a you know you can picture it there's there's work on the walls there's some tables with work laid out and um folios all all arranged for people to go through and you're there um eagerly waiting for people to come up to your stand and, and talk to you yeah it's it's really weird but the one moment that I walked away from the stand to probably just go have a look around because they're long days you're there for the whole day and um there's people coming and going and uh, and my future boss came by the stand and was looking through folios, and basically uh, it was the weirdest the weirdest experience. I went back to the stand, and somebody said something like, "The man from Sony wants to talk to you." Like the man, <laughs> the man from Sony. It sounds like a bad guy in a movie. Yeah. Um, but but um, yeah, and he left his business card and. And I just I just got in touch and said hi um, you know I, I think you you might have seen my work at this event and so this happens at the end of the the academic year uh, it's a bit of a kind of celebration before people kind of break up for the holidays and yeah it was just the weirdest thing I think that kind of happened June July time August I interviewed and by September which would have been the start of the next academic year I was I was sitting at a desk and yeah. so yeah that was how I met. Um, Ollie, who was my manager for, for 10 years. Yeah, it's just so funny that that's, that's kind of how it began. Like, he's flicking through um, portfolios and, and mine must have, must have stood out. And there were two jobs. There was one going in Cambridge and one going in London. So within, um, within a few weeks of, of each other, uh, me and my good friend Phil, we both started a PlayStation and, and each of us were there for, for 10 years. Yeah, that's a long time in, in one company. So, um, yeah, I can only imagine that it must have kept you challenged and, and you must have been continually learning. Uh, what kind of design work did you start out doing there? Yeah, this was, um, this was I suppose, one of the points in my career that I only, I only reflected on probably afterwards. But when I left there and especially when I came to New Zealand, there was a lot of talk about I guess what type of designer you were like are you are you a brand designer or, or do you work in in comms or are you a digital designer it's really funny like we never thought about it at the time we were just designers and so we did uh, marketing work you know um, 
designed everything from like pack fronts of games to um, you know interface design, and and it all came to one team. It wasn't. Um, it didn't go to like at least in the early days. It didn't go to the UI guy or the you know the the brand designer or anything. It was like we we had a reasonably big team, probably the biggest design team I've, I've worked on. There were graphic designers um, across kind of all disciplines. There were motion designers, video editors, sound designers, uh, music composers. There was a music licensing team, audio. There was just uh, every every discipline. At least, but at least by the time I left, we basically brought the whole team together on one floor of a of a pretty big office in London, and so the the amazing part of that was just being able to walk around and talk to people and just see everything that goes on. And and you you left the creative floor and you would go to another part of the business and you'd see all the people in in development, you know, actually like making the products and testing things. You'd walk over to see the art team and you'd see all these amazing. 3D artists like building building the games and building the levels of the games, just having all of that um, exposure to that under one roof, yeah, it was just an unbelievably uh, inspiring and I suppose insightful time to have access to to just all of those people. Yeah, and uh, you know what a mood of collaboration and um, cross pollination there. To, as you say, be a sometimes people talk about designer with a capital D. Uh, is there one kind of particular project that you can talk about that stands out you know, during your time at PlayStation that was quite pivotal? Yeah, I think so. I think there were probably a few. One that really stands out was um, we we got the opportunity to do a pack front and, and some other work for a, for a franchise called uh, Little Big Planet. And I'd worked on one of their titles earlier on in my career. And this was for uh, Little Big Planet 3. We got the brief to do the, the pack front. And so I was involved uh, really early on in the, I guess, the overall art direction, the look and feel. There was uh, two or three of us working on it. Uh, there was an art director. I was working on it from a kind of design and art direction perspective. And there was someone that was uh, illustrating it as well. And I think we, we got to the point where we technically had reached the limit of our expertise I reached a point where I I guess I kind of felt frustrated at my own technical capability and I'd wanted to learn 3D for a really long time. Uh, there were others around me, especially on the motion team that were using Cinema 4D. And I'd just been kind of looking with envy at the things that they were making and creating. I think at that point, it gave me a bit of a kick to just go, okay, I'm going to dive into this. And I remember asking about how I could how I could go about it. And there were two options. They said, we can offer you training. You know, if, if you want to go and do some training in 3D, we could we could send you on a course. And I, I think I said, I'd rather you just bought me the software and I'll just learn it. <laughs> and how naive I was to think, oh, it's as simple as that. And um, But that did really begin me on uh, a journey that I think really changed the direction of my career because I ultimately that is what I did. <laughs> It wasn't long after there was an event called, um, it was the PlayStation 20th anniversary. I remember showing my art director, my, my art director, Ollie at the time, just some things that I'd been playing with. And I was really into making things in neon. I was obsessed with trying to make the perfect neon imagery. I showed him that I'd made a couple of the PlayStation shapes in, in neon and he'd just gone to a marketing meeting where they 
basically offered him a brief for the PlayStation 20th anniversary. He said, I had to turn it down. We don't have capacity and I don't know that we can come up with an idea in in the time. And he'd literally like come back from that meeting, uh, walked past my desk and I had said, hey, Ollie, do you mind taking a look at this? And he looked at it <laughs> and he said, okay, this is awesome. I, I just need to jump on the phone for a second. And he literally called them straight back and said, guys, I've, I've got the creative for the anniversary comms. I just need a couple more days. And he literally kind of came over and said, I need you to do the rest of the shapes as quick as you possibly can. And so, yeah, we did this um, really nice, super simple creative that had the PlayStation shapes. Um, one of them was about um, looking forward, like uh, looking to the future. And we used the, the button of the controller that looked like a forward-facing arrow. And the other one was a retrospective. So it was about looking backwards. And we used the, the PlayStation symbol that represents back for that as well. And, and it was just one of those things that kind of serendipitously came together, but it, it really marked quite a difference in the direction that my career was going, where up until that point, I'd begun to start getting frustrated at my own technical capabilities in terms of not being able to realize my ambition. And then realizing that anyone can learn tools, you just need to sit down and invest the time, which is obviously easier said than done. But obviously, software shouldn't be a boundary to being able to realize a vision. At that point, really shifted uh, the direction that my career was going. Yeah, I love that. that um, you know, seeing that you had a passion for something and then asking for that support. And did you do kind of that learning within your own time or did you kind of get some time within your day job as well to put into that? Uh, it was a bit of both. I remember obviously at that point then trying to crowbar 3D executions into every project that we were, we were working on. But at the time I was working in London but still living in Cambridge. So I had this really ridiculous uh, commute every day. It was about two hours to work, uh, two hours back. At the point that everybody finished work for the day, we had this unbelievable uh, render farm that after work was finished, I had free access to. So I was finishing my working day at 6, uh, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And then I'd stay for two or three hours every evening, just literally just playing around, um, trying different things out, and then leaving it to, I used to refer to it as leaving it to cook overnight. And some days you'd go in and have this like amazing set of images or little bits of motion to, to show people. And other days the whole thing would have failed and it would have been a catastrophe <laughs> and I wouldn't have found out until... 9:30 in the morning but yeah it was it was a lot of a lot of self self-initiated work I think and just again a natural a natural curiosity curiosity in it and in a funny way not even for not even always just for design just to, just sometimes just trying things out to see you know see if I could make treating it more like a way as uh it, beca it became more of a hobby I suppose where I was more interested in it as a creative outlet than just a design tool, if that makes sense. And did you have any, um, you know, other kind of designers or um, other ways that you kind of got inspiration or, or were influenced as a young designer during that time? Um, I think what was really awesome is over the time that I was there, which was obviously a reasonable amount of time, there was uh, a number of people that, that kind of came and went. On our team, uh, there was an art director, Ollie, who was just so absolutely trying to push the boundaries on every project and, and almost to the point where he said uh, if, if you start to feel uncomfortable then you're probably in the right territory and so we were working for we were working on titles where the treatments that we were coming up with had absolutely 
no viable commercial output because it was, you know, probably just too too outrageous or, or just too punchy. But then if you can get to that territory, you can always bring it back. It's, it's hard to inject interest uh, into something that's actually quite boring. And so I think that was a lesson that we had. But But also just the team in general, they just cared so much about what we were doing. And and everybody was, you know, a, a designer as a, in the broadest sense, but they all had their own interest, whether that was design in an illustrative fashion or design in a technical fashion or design that overlaps with motion. And I think being able to just, when a project came in, be able to go, okay, who's going to really, who's going to really push this project or who, who are we really going to get the most out of? Um, and be able to to kind of assemble almost like a little mini team for those projects. And I think because every one of those projects you were paired up with maybe a different person, a little bit of them always rubbed off. And so by the end of it, you had this super flexible team that just just wanted to get the best outcome of of every project. And I think there was just a real there was just a real overall excitement there. In, in terms of it, it was the, the team were the ones that inspired. Yeah, uh, you know, I think there's really something in that, isn't there, to be able to, as you say, get those kind of fresh pairings for projects and and um, really delve into each other's um, ways of working and yeah. passions. So after 10 years there, it must have been kind of a difficult decision uh, to leave and yeah. not only did you leave um, your role but is that when you um, came to New Zealand? Yeah it was um, definitely an interesting an interesting time. I, uh, at the time we always uh, and I say we my, my wife and I we always knew that we wanted to live overseas and so we'd spent uh, at least a few years evaluating different options and we were kind of looking at, uh, at the US um, the West Coast uh, in terms of potentially like a transfer or, or a move over there with work. Uh, we were looking at Australia. We were looking at New Zealand. We were looking at Canada. And we we were looking for a change. And I think New Zealand just seemed to be this really welcoming uh, environment where we would also have the opportunity to to change our lifestyle. Like I said before, I was I was spending a lot of time commuting hours a day on a train sometimes I'd, I'd go home at you know 10 p.m and you know you just you just spend the entire day um either at work or traveling and what what kept me with there was the team and the work and, and just being so engaged in that but knowing that ultimately at some point it was time to make a change and so I'd been going through the visa application process and the paperwork and things like that and, and effectively it ended up on a on a bit of a wait list it was like a apply and see what happens kind of thing and and so there was a point in 2016 where brexit was happening trump had just been announced or or announced that he be president and the phone rang i was in the canteen at work having a coffee and they said hey you've you've come off the wait list do you still want to go to new zealand and it just couldn't have come at a better time. It was just the most, <laughs> the most amazing news. And um, what happened at that point was I had three months to to get here, basically. And um, I realized that my notice period at work was three months. I was in a senior position and uh, it was a 12-week notice period. And so I went to, uh, went to the office to pick up my passport and my visa. 
And that night I had to draft my resignation letter. And so I, uh, I had this really long conversation where I, I had a bit of preamble and uh, I had to talk to my boss and, and kind of let him know and, and thank him for my time. And I said, but I'm, but I'm going to New Zealand. And, and he kind of said, how are you going to work here from New Zealand? Or like, <laughs> I just, obviously my excitement had not articulated myself at all clearly. And I was saying, I, well, I have to leave. <laughs> this, is my resig- this is my resignation. It's suddenly all like the kind of penny dropped and, and I must have articulated myself a little more clearly. But yeah, it was, it was really bittersweet. And um, I've got to say like my time, in, my time in London was a really amazing time in my career, but it, after three years, it, um, it probably reached, reached a point where I was, I was definitely ready for, for something new. And, and so going from this city where I, I had a team, a familiar team that surrounded me, a support system, there were, you know, juniors that I could rely on, uh, and, and collaborate with seniors that I was there receiving direction and inspiration from studios all around me, um, that I really admired and, and knew their work and followed. And, and suddenly I found myself in this new city, didn't know anyone. And um, one thing that was really awesome, uh, just before I left, there was a guy that I worked with called Matt. And he said, hey, look, I, I, I hear you're going to New Zealand. Here are some people that I think that you should get in touch with. I've, I've thought about what you're interested in and I've seen that you're doing you know, design and 3D and you've got an interest in motion. Here are some people that you should get in touch with. And he pretty much gave me a piece of paper with names and email addresses on. And sure enough, I, I got here and the timing in terms of, you know, finding employment couldn't have been worse. I got here in November. And so the weather was beautiful, but everyone was in that kind of wind down period before Christmas. And so I started um, doing two things, like one reaching out to studios and uh, at that point, just like not getting, not getting emails back or, you know, not picking up the phone and, um, but otherwise, I was reaching out to these people on slightly more of a personal level uh, and saying, hey, look, you know, Matt told me I should get in touch with you. And suddenly I started meeting people. And, and, and at each of those meetings, people would say, hey, you should also talk to, have you spoken to? And at that point, it, it was just amazing. Like Everyone was so welcoming and helpful. And just it, it was just awesome to be somewhere and suddenly start feeling like you're part of a community when you've really only just arrived and um yeah that led to that led to bits of freelance work and and just really like really little jobs and then and then ultimately like my first role um came in april where suddenly i'd gone from you know no emails in my inbox no replies in my inbox to to suddenly a a few opportunities came came up at the same time and so today you are the design director at method yeah yeah can you tell us a little bit about um, what your day-to-day at Method looks like and um, do you have any rituals in terms of your process? Um, that's a really good question. So I think I've probably mentioned it before, but there's no there's no such thing as a typical project at Method, which you know, suits me just fine. Um, and and I, I kind of relish in that, which means I suppose we have no sort of set way of doing things, but the one thing that we do try and do is um, organize our weeks to get the most out of out of the week. And so Mondays typically is is you know kicking off the week, and and we have our internal meetings. Try and keep that to to like a Monday morning, and so get into a bit bit more work in the afternoon. And then um, 
that's generally more of a kind of internal thing. Uh, Tuesday is is kind of catching up and whips with with clients and partners, and then trying to get all of that out of the way at the start of the week, which then kind of Tuesday afternoon from midweek onwards, really just heads down and getting into the work and getting onto the tools. And I think that's really helping uh, in terms of process and, and workflow. I think one thing that we noticed, you know, last year was moving into lockdown and a lockdown situation. We work pr- predominantly in the cloud. And so we really naturally, we didn't have such a hurdle to, to move to working from home. And I think even now we, we're so used to this way of working with, you know, Zoom calls or, you know, collaborating online, sharing files, just always looking for different ways of improving our creative workflow in a kind of remote sense, but just not simply from working from home, but working with people anywhere. And so, yeah, I, I think the the thing that I really love about my current situation is very similar to, you know, how I started my career. We have a, a really wonderful creative team, but they're not of just one discipline. You know, we've got a 3D designer, technical artist, designer and we all we all sit together and we all just look over each other's shoulders you know and we have these boards that we stick work up and we're looking over each other's shoulders or what's on each other's screens or what's up on boards and it it just kind of generates conversation a little bit more organically just asking people what they think you know um and and getting inputs and yeah it's just knowing uh when to check in and and talk to one another and, and knowing when to let people just get on with their work just just communicating with with the team no matter what discipline they're in uh has been a really a really wonderful thing and that obviously now extends to um you know working online we have a a monday morning catch up with the whole creative team and we just do a little bit of a show and tell everybody brings up what they're doing i mean at the moment i'm pretty heavily into some some web design um whereas a couple other members of the team are doing projection mapped uh, (laughs) big screen stuff which is so completely different from what I'm doing, but oh my goodness, it's inspiring to see. Yeah, just keeping that curiosity and and so do you spend then you know time across kind of all of the different parts of the kind of creative and design process in that respect? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's funny that the the title design director is it's a, it's a job title, you know. But um, honestly, like this week we've had some talk about. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think. We had a really great conversation on Monday about um, some 3D work that's going on and like color grading and and kind of look and feel of the tone of this um, big piece of motion design that we're doing. Um, I'm doing a a bunch of project planning and and things like that for some real long-term projects. There's uh, web design that's going on. It's just, we joke about the idea of wearing many hats, but I think it definitely stops, uh, stops you falling into you know, a bit of a routine or going through, going through the motions, but also um, that diversity, like it, the diversity in projects or, or creative projects, we share common skill sets, but we also, everybody has their own, their own strengths. Again, a, a lot, a lot like how I started my career. Is there one um, project in particular that you've worked on in the last little while at Method that you can, you could share with us? Yeah, definitely. Um, in the last year, we've, we've, worked a lot with the University of Auckland and we like to work collaboratively uh, as a studio regardless of the project and we've really enjoyed um, this relationship with the University of Auckland where they've they have a team uh, connected experiences 
been working on projects with them for over a year now. And so every week we were having catch-ups and check-ins and just sharing ideas. And um, all of it's contributing to a project called Your World, Your Way, uh, which is an aim to give people a bit of a glance into what their potential um, student life would be like in, um, in Auckland, at University of Auckland, with the idea being that, especially, you know, thinking about the situation we're in now, once upon a time, we had uh, open days and, and visits and, and things like that. And sometimes that's not, always, that's not always practical. And the idea being that you could just give people that sense or that feeling of the best bits of, of Auckland, but also just allow them to have an experience where they can just explore and be curious and, and kind of have a, a look at information at a glance. Because, you know, through, through research and just talking uh, with the team, we really recognize that every student journey is, is quite different. And so there are students that know exactly what they want to do. They've had a picture of what they want to do uh, very clear in their mind. And then at the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, there's others that they don't even know if university is for them. They don't know what they want to study. Maybe they're focusing more on um, you know, their future beyond the university and they just need some information on, on how to get there. You know, they can't imagine being away from their families. They can't imagine being away from their community. And so it just allows um, visitors to just look in there uh, a different, I guess, more visual way of exploring and, and finding the information that they're looking for to then continue that journey to more detailed uh, information or to, to kind of get in touch and, and find out a bit more. But I think um, there's two parts to that. There's being proud of the work that we've done on, on a, you know, a design craft level and, and the idea that we've, we've delivered something that looks, you know, looks beautiful and works, but also just in terms of the type of, you know, partner that it's rewarding to work with, uh, education and just, yeah, just getting, getting people into education, but also, uh, revealing a path to get there. Mm. Um, it, it feels like a, yeah, it feels like, it feels like a very satisfying Thing, thing to be doing and also as I said just to be working with a, a partner that's so I guess open-minded and collaborative we talk a lot in the studio about the idea of going to a meeting and doing the big reveal you know going away crafting your idea doing the big reveal I almost think of that idea as like a kind of madman style you've got your work up on a you know a display stand and you kind of lift the lift the sheet and uh, there it is there's the big idea and we've moved quite far away from from working that way it's a lot more uh, iterative and just bringing people on the journey, uh, inviting feedback early, iterating, and just, you know, not being precious. And so, um, yeah, I think that that experience has been uh, quite transformational for me um, mm. in terms of learning to uh, articulate ideas and kind of talk about where something is going. And, uh, and I think that that same thing goes for like how I work with the team as well, getting people to um, be more open to sharing you know, work in progress and being able to articulate, uh, you know, where it's at, what the next steps are and uh, not get too hung up on making everything pixel perfect for the, you know, for the first round. Yeah, I think, you know, definitely the role of the, of the designer has, um, is moving and changing in, in that respect. And as you say, kind of kind of more wa- walking hand in hand from the beginning with the um, communities that we're designing with, um, yeah. you know, is producing those hopefully um, richer results and, and outcomes for those communities. Yeah. Have you seen 
kind of an increase in work uh, due to the COVID situation in terms of, you know, um, products and services, uh, having to navigate that digital and online experience? Yeah, I think so. And I think in that regard, people being more willing to uh, to try things, you know, people that were maybe not so, not eager, eager is not really the right word, but I th- it's made more people comfortable with having a go at certain, um, you know, digital approaches that they may not have considered before, like kind of taking risks or, or kind of dipping their toes into that type of project. Obviously, there's been an uptake in people that need that presence, you know, um, and, and I think that was probably more last year where people had not been as proactive in, in building their online presence. And then suddenly, you know, there is no foot traffic. There's no people walking through the door because we're all, we're all at home. Um, and so I think there was a, there was a rush to, to get online as a reactive, as a reactive thing and, and out of necessity but from that point, I think it's probably changed people's mindsets a little bit in terms of uh, opening their their mind and their eyes to uh, yeah trying trying new things, uh, innovating, and um, whether that's you know the way that we're doing activations through to you know all kinds of projects. And uh, yeah, I would say that I've definitely noticed that. I mean, it's you know obviously that's a big change that we're undergoing right now, um, and is you know still got some way to go. But aside from that, you know, you must have seen um, changes and shifts in the um, years that you've been practicing in the field of design. What are some kind of major changes that you've seen that have had the most impact? Yeah, the biggest one. Um, if I if I look back on if I look back on my like career from the point that I I started don't like putting a pointer on the year because it makes makes me feel a little old. I joined I joined the industry pre-smartphone and uh, pre, you know, the prevalence of, of iPhones and, and things like that. And so interface design and, and UI design, uh, at that point, user experience was just not talked about as much as it is now. And, um, you know, we were doing game game menus and things like that, and then started doing apps. Before there was, like I said, such a prevalence of attention, I suppose, on that and um, resources available or tools available to to do that kind of work. And so suddenly, um, you know, the smartphone came out and all of a sudden people paid so much attention to just user experience in general. And I think would then easily dismiss anything that didn't meet those standards. You know, people have an expectation if they pick up a, an iPhone that everything they use through that portal will behave that way, uh, you know, with that, with that level of fidelity and, and quality. And so suddenly you see we kind of went from no options for UI design to there being countless options and everyone has their tool of choice and everybody has their pipeline and everyone has their UI and UX methodologies and everybody has an opinion uh, on, on like the best practices of, uh, of those kind of things. Yeah, suddenly an area that was probably really underlooked is now massively developed and continues to do so. People still get uh, quite hung up on software and tools. I remember again, like being involved in photography, everybody wanted to talk about what camera you had. And they wanted to talk about what lenses you used and nobody actually, or too few people were talking about the pictures that people were taking. 
you know, and, and the artistic merit of those. And so, you know, the, 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 the chat of the day is, oh, what tools do you use for UI design and, and things like that? And it's like, okay, cool, but can we talk about the work? And so, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably been the biggest shift is something that was actually quite neglected and rudimentary went through this unbelievable transformation into, into where we are now and, and seemingly continues to grow. You know, did that happen quite quickly in your to your mind? Yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I think it, it probably took me by surprise how quickly uh, it happened. I think it also probably happened without us realizing. You know, some of the projects that I used to work on, were, they were long, like they were long projects. And so, you know, you'd suddenly realize that people uh, had very few options at the point that our project started. And by the time you were kicking off like your next major project, suddenly people are asking if you're using this software or this platform or, you know, if you're using this methodology. And I think that the awesome thing about that is it keeps people moving forwards and it keeps people, I guess, keeps people nimble and, and agile because it's easy to, I suppose once you've been doing something for a while, it's easy to start falling into a rhythm or a groove where you're, perhaps like not, not pushing yourself as much as you could, or you're not keeping up with, with uh, the trends or with, with what's out there. So I think the pace that things are moving at is, is probably a good thing uh, in terms of just keeping things fresh and keeping things moving, as long as you don't get too caught up in keeping up with the Joneses, if, if you like. Um, such a bad metaphor, but <laughs> yeah. You've talked about having that kind of personal practice almost as a young designer. And do you, is that something that you retain today or has it been kind of replaced by other things outside of work? Yeah, it's a funny one. I um, I remember when I first came to Auckland and uh, I was meeting people at different studios and I was talking through my portfolio and, and I was talking about how I'd taken steps to, to learn 3D and, and learn that side of things. And what was so funny was um, the question came back, you don't have kids, do you? <laughs> and, uh, and I think um, at the time, I, I didn't think much of it. And uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a daughter, she's one, and it's been a, a really transformational time in my life. And I still find time to uh, do little bits of creative work outside, outside of office hours. Uh, and I don't think I'll ever be able to shake that desire. It has definitely taught me priorities, like I really value my family life. And I think one of the things that uh, I'm really blessed with in terms of my current situation is, is Method is a very family-oriented studio. There's a culture for people to maintain a healthy work-life balance, which, you know, in, in a lot of areas of the creative industry, that's probably just not the case. You know, we, we, we all know studios where people are working all kinds of crazy hours and just in a way that's not healthy or sustainable. And I think there's a lot of... Um, attention that's been placed on that um in you know current times there's a lot more talk about things like you know mental health and, and burnout culture and and i'm really fortunate that i'm at a studio that places a really high importance on that and it gives me the space to um you know to have a family life and to have um gets to a certain time of the evening and, and shops shut like down tools focus on on what matters but still have space to just kind of tinker and craft and you know pick things up when when you can't put them down and still yeah like always keeping an eye on you know what's going on in our in our industry and just kind of staying inspired and 
still keen to always learn new things. I don't think I'll ever be able to turn that off. There's always a, a shiny new thing that I'm kind of intrigued by or, or want to try out. I have a list of um, personal projects that one day, one day I'll get through. I'm kind of working through them glacially, <laughs> slowly, but uh, I think it's always important to have something that you're, you know, working towards beyond your, your kind of day-to-day as well. Whether you move to living in New Zealand, um, you know, that was obviously a decision that reflects your um, values and and how you want to live as a designer. Definitely working for a studio which places importance on, um, you know, now and family, um, that must be a big factor. How do you think studios can... Um, you know, encourage a values-based approach to design? There's two parts to that question. I think, um, one, I'm really interested in, I'm, I'm going a little bit open now, but I'm really interested in the idea of what constitutes a studio because I think that you're seeing distributed teams, partnerships outside of the traditional studio or agency structure. And in a lot of instances, people are crushing it. <laughs> you know, um, there's collectives, there's partnerships where people are working on in different sides of the world yeah I'm really interested in kind of challenging the idea of what a, you know what a studio is and and I think people are so much more comfortable working from home these days that I think you know after lockdown finished it wasn't like everybody suddenly rushed back rushed back to the office and you know I I work personally a, a few days a week from home and and have done and that's been massively important to uh, my life and, and kind of seeing my daughter grow up. But I think the values comes back to the, the purpose of a company, right? And, and the objectives of a company. I think having a really clear idea of, you know, what it is that you want to achieve as a company and what your, what your belief system is, is massively important. I mean, I have a massive interest in strategy, design strategy, but there's strategy in terms of having a presentation of your values and your kind of business culture. And then there's actually walking the talk, you know, putting those values front and center and, and living them. I don't think it's good enough to kind of pay lip service to that, that kind of thing. I think you actually have to, um, you have to have those beliefs and then actually start delivering on them. Yeah. And that notion, I think of asking what, what is a studio and something that I'm definitely interested in and, and, I'd go further and say it's about breaking down what success means. And as you say, there are um, collectives, there are people, independents um, doing great work. Uh, and hopefully, you know, that's a positive that comes out of um, this uh, time period with COVID as well in terms of uh, people seeing that you can work However, you know, I mean, interestingly, you were talking about um, uh, focus on the tools as well rather than the kind of the work. And, and it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? And it not only lends to uh, more values-based kind of uh, studio culture and work, but um, supporting that true diversity of, of thought um, and how people want to live. So uh, it's yeah. quite exciting, I think, in that respect that we're um, kind of you know, on, on the verge of hopefully seeing that kind of snowball in our industry. Definitely. And I think one thing that we've, we've talked a lot about it recently, um, you know, when we are in the office, we find that the, um, because people do have that flexibility, you know, there are people with families, people that don't, people that want to get in early so that they can beat the traffic, people that want to leave late in the evening because, you know, they enjoy the quiet time. And the interesting thing is there's always a 
something happens, there's an action, there's a reaction. And the idea of the open plan office um, as the ideal creative space is obviously also being challenged a little bit at the moment. And suddenly, if you find that your team is, um, you know, half of them are not in the office on a certain day or, you know, the, the people are kind of coming and going throughout the day. If you bring that flexibility in, something also probably has to change. Like the idea of the, the studio layout has to change or putting these events in um, that bring the team together to make sure that there are those points when, you know, you still have that organic interaction and there are still points in the, you know, the weekly calendar where everyone does actually get together, whether or not that's uh, in person or, or on a call. You know, on a Monday morning, we have our weekly stand up and we get together and we have a chat about the week ahead. On Friday, we have a, I think in the calendar, it's called Chat and Cheers. And it's just a set Friday afternoon down tools. Like let's, let's talk about the weekend, you know, let's talk about what, what you're doing in your life versus, you know, the, the work. But, you know, I think it's, it, it's so nice to be um, part of a studio also that it's not like five 30, we all go home and don't talk to one another. You know, there's people in the studio that are interested in gaming. There's people in the studio that are interested in arts and music and things like that. People keep talking, whether that's through kind of Slack or, or whatever it's, um, it's, it's nice to have a group of people that have common interests mm. beyond, you know, what they sit at their desk to do each day. And do you have uh, ways that you disconnect and reconnect to yourself personally? I think that comes back to, you know, the, the, the life here. We talk a lot about this. Um, my, my wife and I have these kind of check-in points. We, we talk about how things are going and, and how we are and, and kind of ask those questions. But I've been here for five years now. You know, it genuinely feels like, genuinely feels like home and have found that nothing resets the mind, like taking a walk on the beach and taking a walk in the bush and just getting out of the city and, um, and away from the screen, turn my work profile off on my phone, turn my computer off and just go for a walk and a talk and um, just remembering to, to kind of check in. I remember listening to a podcast a long time ago about always stopping to question about why you do what you do. It was really profound and it had a really profound effect on me in my, um, in my career. I had a moment, you know, where I, I just went, Hey, hang on. I've wanted to move overseas for a really long time. Like it's, it's kind of now or never. And that was one of the biggest, biggest points in my career where I've made such a seismic shift, but you know, whether that's moving to a city, um, you know, I moved from Cambridge to London, I moved from London to Auckland, you know, I've moved studios and it's really easy to just keep moving forwards, you know, without actually having, without having a plan in place, you know, and, and it's easy to fall into that routine. So, you know, personally, I find it really, really important to just to stop, you know, and just literally stop and go, what's going on? Are we still happy? Where next? Like, what's the next thing? And um, and and the next thing might be keep going, you know. Um, but I but I think it's really important to just sort of stop and ask yourself that question and, and take stock. A couple a couple things. We we have these um, Monday morning Monday morning facts um, or like tip of tip of the week. One of them that we talked about recently was remember the times in your life that you wanted what you currently have. You know, we, we get really excited about what the next project is and then we're doing it. And we have to remember to enjoy that because it's so easy to be thinking about what comes next um, and always be chasing that. Uh, Sophie, our designer this week, she, she had a quote and it was, um, I even wrote it down in my book. Um, she, she took it from somewhere else, but it was remembering to, to have moments where you say, 
if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. You know, just celebrating those little moments, those tiny moments where you go, you know, this is this is all right. I, I feel pretty pleased with this situation. And, you know, since since being in New Zealand, I find I have those uh, a lot. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Well, finally, I'd like to ask you if you have any words of wisdom that you'd like to share with other designers and creatives. Um, I feel like you've touched on a few of those points of that kind of last question, but is there is there kind of one succinct point that you'd like to end with? Yeah, I think, and, it, and it's kind of two parts, and it does definitely relate to that. One of them is is definitely like find a way to do what you love. Again, this is another one that's kind of come up on our Monday morning chats, but find a way to, to do what you love really is really important to me. And, and it's the, probably the number one piece of advice that I would give to anyone. Uh, and it's easy to say that because it's often easier said than done, but life is incredibly short without wanting to be too profound. I think it's, like I said, it's, it's easy to trudge along and, and kind of find yourself in a routine or in a groove and just take, take moments, take moments to check in and, and talk and think and reflect about why it is that you're doing uh, what you do. And that's almost like the goal, right? To, to find a way to do what you love. So my follow-up piece of advice would be make a plan to, to get there. And when I was earlier on in my career, my probably my early 20s, I, I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I, it was kind of over the horizon. I thought that if I just kept putting effort in, I kept learning new things, I kept trying, I would get there. But it was, it was directionless effort. And it's easy to do lots of things to be busy, but to not really know whether they're actually contributing to your goals, you know, and, and actually people only have so much time. They only have so much effort. You need to make steps to get to where it is that you want to get to. And they may be tiny steps and you might not be able to do, you might not be able to reach your goals in a single bound, but at least map out a rough journey on um, what you want to do to, to get there. If you've got a very ambitious goal, what are the little steps that you need to take on the path to, to getting there. And I found that being able to break things down on those terms has really helped me kind of chart my path forwards. So yeah, I think that'd be my number one and number two pieces of advice. Now, Mahi, Matt, uh, thanks for your time today. It's been awesome to hear about where you've come from and your early career and, and what you're doing day to day now. Um, and we look forward to seeing uh, more great projects come out of the team at Method. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.